I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 11 to 1 on LMFM. LMFM. Due to the increasing amount of time we've been spending in the online world on Zoom meetings, Skype and WhatsApp calls, it seems there has been a sharp increase in Zoom dysmorphia. And although a lot of us are back to working in the office, it seems this isn't going away anytime soon. So what is Zoom dysmorphia and how is it affecting us and how we present ourselves to the world? Image consultant Ria Macklin from House of Colour is very concerned about Zoom dysmorphia and also how Instagram is affecting our personal style. Maria is on the line with me now. How are you doing, Maria? Hi, Sinead. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Now, can we start off, first of all, with Zoom dysmorphia? What exactly is this? It's a phenomenon that has been nicknamed, it's, it's, it's been nicknamed Zoom dysmorphia by a Harvard Medical School professor who has noticed during the pandemic an increase in appointments for appearance-related issues. And he has defined it as the, it's, the, it's because of the effects of staring at ourselves for hours at a time during video conference calls. And it's resulted in a breakdown of how we re- perceive our own self-image. If you think about it, we look at ourselves probably twice or three times a day. You might brush yeah. your teeth and look in the mirror. You might put on your makeup and look in the mirror. But you don't look at yourself while you're relating to other people. So you don't look at yourself while you're conversing. You don't look at yourself when you're out and about. And so now we're looking at ourselves when we're speaking, when we're making a point, when we're listening to others and what our facial expression is doing or not doing. And so it's, it's resulted in us um, seeing ourselves in a, in, in, in a way that others see us, but we hadn't seen ourselves like that before. And the other thing about it is that we're looking at a distorted view of ourselves because your camera might be positioned badly, so your nose mm. might look bigger than it is. Your, the lighting might be bad, so you might appear to have more wrinkles than you think you have. Or you might have, you know, if, if you're looking downwards, then things sag a little bit more. And so people are asking for cosmetic procedures for distorted defects that they think they have, but they, they don't really have. The, the, the rise in plastic surgery has gone up by about 70%. In wow. Statistic. I mean, it's just... 70%. Oh my God, that is yeah, huge, isn't it? Yeah. And it's specifically about nose jobs and smoothing mm. out wrinkles and things that we are seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of shocking, really. But but this is what other people see of us every day. And it's, you know, it's got us this far. So yeah. the interesting thing you think is that we, we're now seeing ourselves how others have seen us. And, and, you know, if you've got this far, then everything is really fine. It really is. And, you know, I do this myself, Maria. I constantly focus on things I'm not happy about when I do get that odd glance in the mirror, as you're saying there, you know. And I know deep down these things, uh, these are things that beauty companies and then by osmosis society is saying I shouldn't be happy with. Yet we still focus in on these parts of ourselves and it can be so damaging. We do. We are we are our own worst critics. We will say things to ourselves that we wouldn't say to other people. And we've all, I know, and we do that. And, And one of the rules 
I have when people come to my studio is to stop pointing out the one or two things you don't like about yourself. That starts a negative conversation. Then, you, then you're perceived negatively. It, you focus on things that, that don't need to be focused on and they become a big thing that you have to either fix or get over or uh, hide or get around. And if you focus on all the gorgeous things, and we all are gorgeous. I mean, we're gorgeous. We're all different. We're unique. We're our own people. And if we focus on all of that, it starts a whole positive and we start to love who we are and like who we are. And that's much more, it's much healthier, much healthier. Well, this brings me nicely to my next question, because you are somebody who's very confident in your own skin. You always look amazing as well. How do you find that self-confidence, Maria? Is it like when you, is part of it putting on the right clothes and presenting yourself to the world in a way that you know looks good and feels good? In, that's an interesting question and I'm sure there are people who look at the things I put out there Sinead and would, and would look at them and go gosh you wouldn't catch me in that and that's fine But you the know, thing we're, is we're, you, you you look so well in it and that, you know we talk about this a lot in this segment you're instantly noticeable for the right reasons I feel you know everything's all really well put together and it looks like it was kind of you know thoughtfully put together uh, for the maximum impact Very kind Sinead that's very <laughs> kind but I I have my style toolkit, so I know what works for me because I've been through the process. I know the shapes, the styles, the colours that have the most impact. And I know that when I have those in my wardrobe, that I can make lots and lots of outfits without having loads of clothes. I don't use filters. I never use filters. I never touch up. I never change anything on when I take a picture. I take a picture and it goes up as it is because I have to be authentic for my clients. If I can't do it without filters, well, how can I expect them to do it without filters? So um, I, I suppose I'm very comfortable now in, in how I put myself out there and I'm very comfortable with my style. I know what works for me and I'm very consistent with that. And uh, yeah, I, it's something I've learned. Yeah. It's something I've learned. It, and it takes time. It does take time, you know. Uh, you know, the other thing uh, that we have to talk about is, you know, you did receive some worrying feedback from a client recently regarding Instagram. Can you give us an idea of what the client said? The client who came to me because of something she'd seen. Yes, this idea yeah, that well, we're, we're losing well, personal yeah. style. Yeah. She, she, she said that she used to be much more um, in control of her own personal style until Instagram came along. And because she watches so many other influencers and Instagrammers, she really has lost her way and she isn't now sure what's right for her because she's being influenced so heavily by lots of others. And it's really hard. It's really overwhelming. Mm. I mean, it used to be overwhelming when you went into a shop and you were bombarded by loads of styles. But now not only are you overwhelmed when you go into a shop, but you're overwhelmed before you even get there because you've seen this on that one and this this thing on the other one. And it's really hard to understand what is right for you because you want to be seen to be modern, contemporary, edgy in fashion. And it's really, really hard. And so there's a huge amount of confusion then about what is right for me. And only you know what's right for you. It has to come from you. It has to come from you. This is the thing. And, you know, I do love Instagram. It's a great tool, but you can get caught up in mirroring what influencers are doing in terms of styles. That's a really important point, actually, that that client brought up in terms of, you know, losing a personal kind of touch, you know. And it's about kind of, as you say, you know, posting that outfit of the day if you want to post it and, you know, feeling confident when you do post it, not, you know, I suppose, worrying about what other people are going to say about said outfit isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's, I use Instagram for inspiration, mm. you know, so, so it gives me ideas. It adds 
to some of my creativity because I don't feel that I'm hugely creative, but that gives me ideas about how to wear things. But I'd always do it my way. Yes. I'd always do it my way. And if something looks great on somebody and I know it's not right for me, I, I just won't go there. You won't copy it kind of thing, yeah. No, and no. Um, what would influence your style, Maria, then? Because, you know, you are somebody who keeps an eye on trends, but you're certainly not a slave to them. No, I'm not a slave to them because, I, as I said already, I have a style toolkit. I know what works for me and everybody should have their own style toolkit. So I, I wear neat, well-fitted clothes. I can't do flounce. I can't do frill and I can't do fuss, but I know that they look amazing on other people. I like to do a bit of clashing. I like to do a bit of something edgy. Sometimes I'll do two prints together. Um, but I have a I have a sort of a, a guideline, a list of guidelines that I really stick to. Um, mm. And I move around within, within those. And that's what you do with people that come to see you as well. You tease yeah. this out of people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's great because it eliminates, I mean, there's a value in, in not knowing what to buy. I put up a post a couple of days ago about three things I tried on and I didn't buy any of them, but yes. I knew exactly why such not to Such restraint, Maria, can I just say, such restraint. Because each item I thought were fabulous. Oh, well, no, the, the, there was there was a tank top that made me, I, I felt I looked like where I was wearing a bulletproof vest. Shane. I mean, you have to be, <laughs> I think we have to be very discerning and focusing on the details when they're in the changing rooms. And changing rooms are difficult because the lighting's not great. Yeah. But they are open now. I, I've done a client shopping and changing rooms are open. So it's great that we can go in and, sh- and try things on. But you have to be very, you have to be very rigorous in how you look at stuff and look at it from the front and the back. Sit down, move your arms, you know, jump around, make sure it fits you, make sure it feels comfortable and make sure you look like you. Make sure you, know, you look you, like you. Yeah, yes. when you stand in front of the mirror and you go, oh, that's mine, that's me, I feel yeah. like me. That's that's job done. And you know, yeah. uh, only because it's been in the news, I have to just veer slightly this way because I have to ask you about this. What do you think about pennies becoming posh? <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> pennies have, have become... Uh, will pennies ever be posh? I don't know. And for me, sustainability, they're trying yeah. to um, talk about sustainability. Sustainability isn't about becoming posh. Sustainability for me is about buying less. Mm. And if, if, if shops like pennies and others, are continuing to put out new styles every month, every two weeks. It's really hard for us to resist. We see, resist, we see, we buy, we want. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whether they're posh or not, they, they have a target market and they serve that target market really, really well. I'm not sure if they will dilute their offering if they, if they do, if they go posh, as they call it. I don't know. I mean, what we really need to do is slow the trickle of clothes down. Really? Yeah, and this is and, and like you know uh, these this company particularly uh, now there are others but this company particularly you know has been one of those ones that has been very late to the sustainability table conversation you know uh, so I'm dubious about what what the intention is here with regards to it but um you know people are talking about it it's a, yeah. you know another we're talking about it it's a, it's another great way to keep themselves in focus um. In terms of autumn, winter, are you seeing anything in autumn, winter that's going to come down the line that people that you're liking? I suppose this is the time of the year, isn't it, as well, to kind of invest in a good coat? Yes, it is. I I always buy my coats in spring when they're in the sale. (laughs) Clever. (laughs) I tend not to buy them now because they're, you know, they're they're price, full price. I, I, I very rarely buy an investment piece like that at full price. I always wait. 
I wait for sales. Um, there, there are a few trends. There's this supreme comfort trend, which is really relaxed, lots and lots of knitwear, snugly warm, big blanket scarves. There are very late paired back trends. There's a, a, a 90s minimalist trend, which is less is more. There's a really luxe lounge trend, which is mm. all the glamour, huge earrings, huge necklaces, sequins everywhere, lots of glitz, metallic shoes, metallic blazers. So there are there's lots of things coming down. And again, it's about having your style toolkit so you know which of those are right for you because we won't fit into all of them. No, we won't fit into all of them. But we are yeah. loving the cosy scarf idea, definitely, yeah. because this is the part of the chat that I love. I always get a great history lesson this month because it's getting colder. We are focusing on the history of the scarf. So how long has the scarf been around? Ancient Egypt, Sinead. Ancient oh my Egypt. God, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, scarves used to be put or put on, on a head under under jeweled headpieces to protect the head. That's that was okay. one of the ways they started. And then men wore them in ancient Rome as sweat cloths to keep them cool and dry. Okay, that is dry really to, interesting. To dry the sweat, like so, they were yeah. worn as sweat cloths. Yeah. And in the Far East, we're back to military scarves were worn by military personnel to show rank. Okay. So depending on the signia and how you wore it and the colour, it, it was easy to determine what your rank was. So it's been around for a very, very long time. The cashmere shawl came in in the 19th century and Queen Victoria was a wearer of shawls that were produced in Paisley in Scotland, which is where the Paisley pattern has come from. And and then shawls declined because women's wardrobes developed. That it, was, it was hard to wear a shawl draped over your shoulders because you couldn't move around. The First World War then, knitting became a duty for women, mm-hmm. children and men to send out socks and sweaters and scarves out to the servicemen to keep them warm in the trenches um, and in the air. So there were knitted scarves for the men in the trenches and there were white silk scarves for the pilots because they needed to protect themselves from neck chafing when they were wearing their um, headgear when they were okay. flying. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Well, scarves are wonderful. I mean, yeah. scarves were, served so many purposes. So the silk then came in into the West and Liberty of London, you're probably familiar with Liberty of London, started producing light silk scarves and those became popular during post-war years, post-First World War, with lots of really nice prints. And in 1937, Hermes, you've probably heard of Hermes. Yeah. They started importing Chinese silk to be worn in to be made into luxurious square scarves, and their scarf still has hand rolled edges, hand painted details, and is ninety centimeters by ninety centimeters. Still to that this day, from case. all that time, mad. It hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Yeah. That is really interesting. And, you know, yes. as well as keeping us warm, you know, as you mentioned, they are great for brightening up. You know, like these lighter scarves, they can be a great accessory for brightening up an outfit as well. Fabulous. It's a big trend this season. Blanket scarf, as I said, very large for supreme comfort. So if you're looking for something snuggly and if you can do something that big, I can't, but lots of people can, then this is the season for it. There are lots of reasons why you would wear a scarf. Impact, colour. It keeps you warm, obviously. It adds to your personality depending on the print. You might wear it on your head like a like a headband. Yeah. Bardot used to do that. Audrey Hepburn wore, her, wore hers tied under her neck and so did Grace Kelly. They both were Hermes scarf wearers. You don't need to go for Hermes because they're expensive. We now have viscous, which looks exactly the same. Yeah. There are scarves everywhere. You can wear it on your wrist. You can put it through your belt loops and wear it as a belt. You can put it on your handbag and wear it as a detail in your handbag which are all in 
this season. They're all part of the minimalist trend that is around for next season. So the scarf is a big item, whether it's a little one or a big one. Fantastic. Maria, as always, a great pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome and good luck this evening. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, Maria Macklin there. If people want to get in touch with Maria for personal style advice, colour analysis, you can find more details on her social media. She's unlocking her style on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And her email is maria.macklin at houseofcolour.com. 11 to 1 on LMFM. LMFM.